Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Israel uh, was amazing. How many by the show of hands have been there before? By the show of hands. Many of you have been there. Many have not. And if you get a chance, I would encourage you to go. Uh, make sure you bring your walking shoes. We walked a lot. Uh, I think at the end of the uh, trip, we tallied up almost uh, 39 miles, a little bit over 39 miles. And my calves still have not forgiven me yet. And, uh, and it was beautiful. I mean, it's just amazing to be standing in uh, the land where Abraham and Moses the patriarchs walk where Jesus uh, and his disciples walked. And, and literally everywhere you turn, it seems like you have historic sites all around you. Uh, maybe the greatest joy for me, though, we're getting to know uh, the people and seeing their passion. Uh, their, there's passion there. And there, there are, are two dominant people groups. One are, are, are Jews, those who are Orthodox Jews, really, really stand out. And I remember being at the Western Wall. You may know it as the Wailing Wall. You've probably seen it. And you uh, see, uh, in particular, Orthodox Jews standing at that wall, praying earnestly, their face turned towards that wall. And I remember I remember uh, walking over there with, with, with Don Anderson and Brad House and some of the, our team members, our wives, and, and, and for me as a preacher, standing there, seeing them praying, thinking that the power is in the place and the power is in the wall, there was something within me that wanted to start preaching. I kept saying, Chris, behave yourself. Uh, but, but there was something in me that just wanted to begin to preach there, that the power's not in the place, the power's not in the wall, the power's in the person of Jesus Christ. How many thank God that you know that person? Then you have a very passionate um, uh, Islam as well. Many Muslims live in, in that area of the world. And, and, and in the midst of it all, there is a small minority group of Christians who are boldly but bravely shining the light of the gospel to that region of the world. And we need to pray earnestly for them, for Messianic Jewish believers in Christ, for Palestinian believers in Christ, for Arab Israeli believers in Christ. We need to pray earnestly uh, for them. But, but one of the things that broke my heart was learning that it's illegal to, uh, to evangelize in many parts of that region of the world. It's illegal, for example, you can be kicked out of the country for trying to convert a Jew to Christianity. And uh, you can experience great social or even physical harm for trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity. And again, I, I praise God for the believers who are boldly declaring their faith in spite of these challenges. But as I, I came back, I started thinking about the fact that there is no place like home. How many thank God for the freedom we have to be able to gather and to worship and to uh, witness here, and there was a burden on my heart as I thought about them, and then I began to think about China, and a recent report that I read uh, that came out of China about uh, the Trinity Harvest uh, Church, where uh, the police in China are surveilling them and harassing them because of fear of them baptizing. What is the concern of the government is that uh, this church, led by leader, Pastor Wang Yi, that they're going to convert men and women from a, a communist atheism to Jesus Christ. 
my heart began to break for the challenges that they face, in particular in contrast to the freedoms that we have. And, and then I began to think about what we've all watched and seen in the deterioration of Afghanistan as rebel groups and terrorist groups have begun to infiltrate that place and, and now many millions of people are displaced and even refugees that are coming to our own backyard. And I thought to myself for a moment, why should we care? Why, why should we care about what's happening in Israel or China or Afghanistan? Why should we even care about the Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim in our own community? Why should we care about the atheist that lives next door? Why should we care about this generation of young people who are being raised to have absolute disinterest in anything spiritual at all? Why should we care? After all, it would be more convenient and easy for us to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We found Jesus, praise God. Isn't that enough? And the answer of the Bible, the answer of scripture is no, that's not enough. The reason why we should care is precisely because Jesus has commanded us to love our neighbors. And that led me to another thought. You know, in the weeks to come, uh, as we do every year, we're going to celebrate what God has done in the previous calendar year and look forward to what God will do in the months to come. And part of our focus is going to be on the difference that happens in the community when Woodside is there proclaiming the gospel. But I will tell you that it, it makes no difference if we're there in that community if we have not embraced what it means to love our neighbors as Christ has loved us. One theologian that's very popular today, his name is Wayne Grudem. Maybe you've heard of Dr. Uh, Wayne Grudem. One of his books is called Bible Doctrines. And in that book, he talks about the threefold purpose of the church. You may want to write this down. It's chapter 26 of his book, and he sums up the threefold purpose of the church in three simple words. It is worship, nourish, and witness. Worship, nourish, and witness. We are supposed to worship God. As a community of believers, we're supposed to lift up the name of God and do everything we can to prioritize his glory above our own. Amen? Secondly, we're supposed to nourish one another. We're supposed to love one another deeply, care for one another as a community of believers, the church, uh, wrapping up one another's wounds and meeting one another's needs. Uh, this is what we're called to do. But thirdly, we're supposed to be a witnessing community caring for the groups around us that have yet to believe through evangelism and mercy ministry, helping to care for those who are often overlooked. And so the question is, is how are we doing at that? Now, when I think about those three words, uh, worship, nourish, and witness, I think about uh, three directions, up, in, and out that we're supposed to live up lives focused on Christ and his glory. We're supposed to live inward, caring for one another as a community, and we're supposed to live outward. How are we doing at that? Well, when you think about up and you think about what we just did for the last 30 minutes of praising God, you have to think we're doing pretty good at worship. And I think that's true as I've gotten to know the families of our church. As I think about the nourish part and how my family has benefited personally from group, from our life group and the care of this community, I hope your family has as well. That marks my life as well. I think the inward part is going well. But as we think about the outward 
witness part. How are we doing? I'll let you evaluate yourself. I'll just tell on me for just a moment. Recently, I read a book called uh, The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. It's a great Christian book, deeply convicting. The title gives away the purpose of the book. It is to help us to think about what does it mean to be a good neighbor in our uh, current moment as a follower of Christ. And one of the exercises they give you is kind of called this chessboard exercise where you draw a square, and that square is supposed to represent you and your family, and around it, you draw four squares either direction, and that represents your neighbors. And here's the exercise and the challenge. You're supposed to fill in as much as you can in each box of what you know about each one of those neighbors. Their names, the names of their children, birthdays, you get it. And here I am trying to do this exercise as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, and struggling to do it, and the conviction was unavoidable. I began to say, Chris, we all have to do better, and I know that it starts uh, with me. So today I wanna share with you just a moment or so uh, from a passage of scripture that really helps us to understand what God's expectation is for us loving our neighbor. Can you turn with me to Luke's gospel? And in Luke's gospel chapter 10, we're just gonna look at a few verses. We'll start in verse number uh, 25. And this parable has been classically called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I would argue along with many theologians and pastors that this is one of the most misunderstood parables uh, that Jesus gave. And why is it so misunderstood? Well, it's because it is full of unexpected. Everything, just about everything in this particular parable is unexpected. The victim of the parable is unexpected. The villains are unexpected. Certainly the hero is unexpected and the theme is unexpected. In the midst of all of that, it's easy to miss the point. But what we're gonna discover here today is that we are called to share and show God's perfect love to our neighbors. That you and I are called to share and show God's perfect love to our neighbors. We are called to care. And so this parable starts out in an interesting way. I want you to look with me at verse number 25 as the setup uh, is introduced to us. And it says, in verse number 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, if you're filling out this, this uh, kid's sheet, one of the things you wanna write in, and parents, you may wanna help them, because after all, candy is on the line. You may wanna help them write in, justification requires perfect love for God and our neighbors. Now, I'm gonna explain what I mean by that in just a moment. But justification requires perfect love for God and our neighbors. Now, what's happening in this particular text is a lawyer steps up and he is in the long line of religious leaders that are trying to trip up Jesus. 
He is trying to embarrass Jesus. The religious leaders of the day did not like Jesus. They saw him as a threat, so they wanted to do anything they could to discredit him. So Sadducees and Pharisees and religious leaders of the day asked him questions that were hopefully going to be gotcha questions to expose to the world that he's a hypocrite. As a leader, you're always uh, being targeted. And Jesus knew what it's like to experience this. And this, this lawyer stands up and asks him this question, this, this gotcha question. Now, to be a lawyer, to be a lawyer in this particular culture was not to just practice law in general, but was to be an expert in Mosaic law. The law of Moses was the constitution for Israel. So this would have been like a law professor. Now notice this question because his question is the key to interpreting the entire text. Don't forget the question or lose sight of the question. Here's the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question itself, if taken seriously, should produce some uneasiness in our hearts. It should produce some fear because it causes us to wonder, have I missed it? Have I studied God's word and maybe walked away and missed it? Jesus, please answer the question, what must I do to make sure heaven is secure? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus, knowing this man is an expert in the law, a law professor who knows the law, who can adjudicate the law, ask him a corresponding question, you know the law, how do you read it? The response of the man is very simple. Verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He goes straight to the Shema. The Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 9, is the foundational scripture of all of Israel. It was their declaration when they gathered and when they worshiped, that it is our responsibility to love God. But notice, Jesus is not just telling him to keep the law. He is telling him to keep the law perfectly. How do we know that? Because of, uh, uh, because of all of the alls in the verse. Notice these alls. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. You shall love the Lord with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Did you see that? What Jesus is saying is that you got to not only love God and your neighbor, you have to love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. Man, can you imagine the weight of that? Let me ask the question, the obvious question, the question that the text begs us to ask of ourselves, how are we doing at that? And the fact of the matter is, again, I'll just tell on me, uh, there are certain days where I feel like I'm hitting it out the park. I, there are certain days I wake up in the morning and I pray and I study my scriptures and I have my little devotion and I'm out the door, fruit of the spirit is going well, get cut off on the freeway. I don't even get mad. I just wave and say, I'm praying for you. Anybody got a day like that, right? You get home, you are sensitive to the leading of the spirit. Praise God. But most days ain't like that, is it? Uh, mo most days, I need a whole lot of Holy Ghost and coffee. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I might be tempted to cuss at the person cutting me off. You guys know what I'm talking about. It, it, it is hard to love God consistently, perfectly, 
to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Who among us can do that? I struggle with even loving my family well, let alone my neighbors well. Yesterday was a test of my love for my family. Only thing I wanna say about this game yesterday is that I had tickets to this game yesterday. And, and, and these tickets don't come around uh, often where you got two teams, rivals getting ready to play each other and uh, perfect records and all of that stuff. Only one problem, my two sons are playing a little peewee football and it was their last game of the season. So here I am in this dilemma. Am I gonna be a good father? father or a good fan, and folks, it was not an easy choice. <laughs> I'm calling up intercessors. Pray for me now. Uh, I, I deliberated and uh, finally landed on going to my son's games, and here I am standing on silence. Don't clap. Don't clap, because I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. Just pray for me. I don't even want you to cheer for that, but just, just, just pray for me. But, but it's hard sometimes to even love your family well, loving in-laws well, loving your children when they're going through tough seasons well, loving your spouse well, let alone loving your neighbor well, loving God perfectly and loving your neighbor perfectly. But Jesus says, this is the standard to the Jew under the law. For the Jew under the law, nothing short of perfection was required, but who can measure up? I hope that you're seeing the answer is that none of us can. So verse 29 is introduced to the text, but he, referring to the lawyer, desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now I can relate to this verse. I can relate to this verse because like this man, I seek to justify myself whenever scripture is asking more of me than what I want to give. Theologian Walter Lightfield said this concerning this man. He says, the only way this man or any person can justify himself is to limit the extent of the law's demands and consequences. The only way we can justify ourselves is when we are confronted by a scripture that's asking too much of us is to try to reinterpret the scripture uh, to maybe be asking less of us. Because what if the scriptures were actually intending to say what they said? What if Jesus was serious when he challenged us to love our neighbors as ourselves? Or what if scripture was serious when it tells me to lay down my life for another like Christ has laid down his life for me? Or what if scripture was serious when it says that you and I are called to bear the burdens of another person? What if... Scripture was serious. You know what that would mean? That would mean that we can't keep the perfect law of God. You and I, we can't. There's no way we can do it. So this man, hoping to get himself out of a pickle, was hoping that Jesus would redefine what it means to be a neighbor. And what would a, a good Jew would have hoped for is that Jesus would have said, here's what a good neighbor is. A good neighbor is a fellow Israelite but not only a fellow Israelite, but a fellow Israelite who is keeping the law, or to put it another way, a good person. 
What this man was hoping for is what we hope for, and that is for Jesus to say to us that all we have to do is love people who are easy to love. How many enjoy loving people who are easy to love? The problem is, is none of us are easy to love. We are all hard cases. And what Jesus wants to expose to this man and expose uh, to us is that God's word is serious, but Jesus Uh, Seeing the heart of this man says, let me tell you a story. And this story is a story that most of us know really well. This is where we uh, mostly know this text. Maybe not the setup part, but certainly this part. Verse number 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Let's just stop there for just a moment. And this is where going to Israel now helps me a lot because I can picture the geography in my head. Jerusalem is certainly a city on a hill. It is at a high point. It is a city on a hill. Jericho would have been down in the valley. And there's a a road. And I remember seeing this road while we were on our trip. And it's a 17-mile road that you would have to walk to go down down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this isn't talking about Old Testament Jericho that was destroyed when Israel marched around it. This is New Testament Jericho. This is Jericho that's uh, uh, near water, would have been a place where merchants would have wanted to go. But a smart Jew would have known during that time that it is enormously dangerous to walk down that 17-mile road because robbers and thieves would be nestled along that pathway waiting for an opportunity to ransack a merchant. What is a Jew who knows this area doing, Jesus, walking down this road? The story seems unexpected. But what happens to him is expected. He gets robbed, he gets beaten, and he gets left for dead. But then the next thing Jesus introduces confuses me even more. Why would he introduce two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, who fail in the moment? Both of them had the opportunity to show love and compassion, but they missed it. And that's precisely the point. The point is, not only can none of us perfectly keep the law, not even those who are clergy can perfectly keep the law. Surely the Jews, the original audience, would have heard Jesus giving this story and thought, maybe I can't keep the law, but the priesthood could. Maybe I can't keep the law, but a Levite could. And maybe you sit there and say, maybe, maybe I can't follow God well or love my neighbor like I should, but surely pastors and clergy can Again, if you don't mind and wouldn't think less of me, let me just tell on myself for just a moment. Recently, we had about a year or two ago, a beautiful Hindu family move into our community, move into our neighborhood, husband and a wife and two awesome uh, little boys. We got a chance to know them a little bit, said uh, your uh, standard greetings and introduced ourselves, but that was about the extent of it. After they had been there for a little bit over a month, they came and they visited, the wife in particular visited my wife one day, knocked on the door while I was away at work and brought a dessert over and said, in our religion, we have set aside this day as a day to pray for our neighbors. And I wanna give you this dessert and ask you, how can we pray for you today? 
Well, I came home later that night after, after work and I saw the dessert on the table and that was exciting to me. Uh, but, but I asked my wife, what's the story behind this dessert? And she told me about this neighbor who had visited and the conviction was almost overwhelming. Here they are praying for us and yet we had not yet set aside a day to pray for them. My friends, I wish I could tell you that priests kept the law perfectly, that Levites kept the law perfectly, that pastors keep the law perfectly, but that would be a lie. None of us keep the law perfectly, but the standard doesn't change. For the Jew, it was only perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor to get you into heaven. Remember the question, how do I inherit eternal life? But yet I can inherit eternal life based off of this standard. And again, into this dilemma steps, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the key word. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus introduces this good Samaritan. And it would have been an absolute oxymoronic statement to put these two words together. No two words would have sounded more contradictory in the mind of the original audience, uh, the observant law-keeping Jew, than a good Samaritan. They hated the Samaritans. They saw nothing good in the Samaritans. They would have never called a Samaritan good. As a matter of fact, they had a saying that the only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. And I think about what would be the equivalent in our culture. And there are very few things that can highlight the intensity of hatred that they have. Maybe uh, I could use our partisan, hyper-partisan politics as just one analogy. It's like me saying to somebody who is a, a conservative Republican, let me tell you the story about the good Democrat. Or it's like me saying to somebody who's a passionate liberal Democrat, let me tell you the story about the good Republican. We, we just don't have categories for those things. And so it was for Jesus' original audience, they would not have been able to understand a good Samaritan. But yet Jesus introduces a Samaritan who not only passes by and has compassion and keeps walking, but he totally alters his day. He gives up his agenda to stay with this man, to wrap his wounds, to love him. He stays the night at the inn. He leaves money with the innkeeper and says, whatever more you have to spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And this is where you need to know that every story of Jesus invites us to identify with the characters, to ask us, which one of these characters am I? And when you hear this story of Jesus and you ask the question, which one of these characters am I? Let me give you some advice. Never identify with the hero because you and I are never the hero. We are never the hero. There's only one hero in every story that Jesus ever told. And who is that hero? Jesus. So this Samaritan is a Christ-type figure. 
Because only Jesus sees you and I beaten and battered and bruised by the world, stripped of our innocence, robbed of our joy, and has enough compassion on us to wrap our wounds and to cover our shame and to answer and quell our fears and to uh, love us and to give us the grace that we need. Only Jesus drops us off in a local church community where we can receive care and compassion and says to the believers, love on them, and whatever you have to pay to love on them, I will repay you when I return. Only Jesus keeps the law perfectly, and that, my friends, is the point of the story. Only Jesus offers to us salvation. You and I cannot do it. And so now the lawyer is stuck. What do I do with this question? Who is the neighbor? I surely cannot say the Samaritan. And so unable to say the Samaritan, verse number 35, he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responds to him and to you and I, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Just as Jesus has loved us, we ought to love others. And so as we think about what difference does it make for us to be in a community, I pray that the difference that it will make will be us loving our neighbors. Why should we care about Israel? Why should we care about China or Afghanistan or the Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim in our community or the atheist next door or the kids in our neighborhood? It's because Christ loved us and because he loved us, we are called to love our neighbors, everyone stand. I pray that in the years to come, that Woodside will be known for loving God and for loving our neighbors well. And there's two types of people in this room. Those who have not received this love that need it and those who have that are called to show it. And I pray that if you need a relationship with Jesus today, before you will leave, you will come to the front where we will pray with you. And if you are watching online, you'll just type connect. And I promise you, we'll follow up with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunities you place before us to be able to love our neighbors, to care for them as you have cared for us and to give them what they need most. And that is the good news that Christ has come and that Christ saves. Lord, I pray that we would leave burdened to love others as you have loved us and to trust in you alone for our salvation. And it's in the mighty name of Christ we pray, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen and amen. Listen, the hour is long, but thank you for staying and listening to God's word. Greet somebody in love as you leave. And if you need to pray with someone, there'll be leaders at the front or at one of our connect desks. God bless. We love you and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.